glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Stand with me if you would, please. Let's read verses 31 through 40. This is the command God's giving Moses when Moses is on Mount Sinai about the tabernacle. He says, Thou shalt make a candlestick of pure gold, of beaten work shall the candlestick be made, his shaft and his branches, his bowls, his knops, and his flowers shall be of the same. How many of you are confused already? Knops and bowls and flowers and... We'll try to get a little, a little explanation. Let's move on. Verse 32. And six branches shall come out of the sides of it, three branches of the candlestick out of the one side, and three branches of the candlestick out of the other side. Three bowls made like unto almonds with a knop and a flower in uh, one branch, and three bowls made like almonds in the other branch with a knop and a flower, so in the six branches that come out of the candlestick. And in the candlestick should be Four bowls made like unto almonds with their knops and their flowers. And there shall be a knop under two branches of the same and a knop under two branches of the same and a knop under two branches of the same according to the six branches that proceed out of the candlestick. Their knops and their branches shall be of the same. All it shall be one beaten work of pure gold. And thou shalt make the seven lamps thereof And they shall light the lamps thereof, that they may give light over against it. And the tongs thereof and the snuff dishes thereof shall be of pure gold. Of a talent of pure gold shall he make it with all these vessels. And look that thou make them after their pattern, which was showed thee in the mount. Thank you. You may be seated. For sake of our message this morning and the outline, if you take notes, we're going to begin with verse 40, the word that's used there, and that is the pattern God is very specific. In every part of the tabernacle, he is very specific how he wants the work done. Uh, He raised up a man, you can read about him in the book of Exodus, named Bezalel. He is, to my knowledge, the only man in the Old Testament recorded as having been filled with the Spirit. There are other men that had the Spirit of God come upon them, but to my knowledge, Bezalel is one, if not one of two, in the Old Testament who were actually referred to as being Filled. That's a New Testament concept, the idea of being filled with the Spirit, permanently indwelt, and a different message, a different lesson for a different time. But Bezalel was raised up to read God's blueprints and put them into, to put them into, uh, into something tangible. And so God is very specific. He is, he is using the tabernacle to communicate what's in heaven on earth. He wants us to have something we can lay hold of. So I don't want us to simply read this and brush by it. I at least want to do a little bit of explaining about the structure of this candlestick. Um, It had one primary shaft called the candlestick. Off of that shaft came branches as we read. So you've got a branch on the bottom that comes down this side and up and out that side and then a middle branch and then an upper branch. Each side has three, three branches. On those three branches are these knobs. We would call those knobs. And above the knob, you've got a flower, okay, and an almond-shaped knob and a flower. So it's decorative. It's beautiful. You've got an almond-shaped, uh, uh, you have the knob and the flower and so forth, three on each branch. So you have three, six, nine on one side, three, six, nine on the other side. That's 18 knobs and flowers like almonds. 
Then on the top, you have the actual bowl with the olive oil, and then that bowl is, is where your lamp, it's your lamp on the top of those sticks. And so all together, you've got seven lamps burning. So you have your, your primary candlestick, and then on that, there's four knops like almonds and flowers. So there's four on the main shaft. The point is there's a main shaft of supply, and the branches, it's the same visual picture as I am the vine, ye are the branches. It's the same typified in a candlestick rather than a branch. You have one main supply, and it's all. These were not attached through welding. It's all one work. That speaks of integrity. It's one work. We're not. It's just exactly like Jesus' garment. How many know there were no seams in Jesus' garment? No seams. You can read about it in the, in the Bible. People say clothing isn't important. Ah, it is. Christ's clothing made a statement about who he is. So does ours. That was free. I just threw that in for free. Okay? We identify Christ's garment, no rending in it. You're not going to tear it apart. You with me? Integrity. It was woven throughout. No seams whatsoever. And even so it is with this candlestick. There's no, no seam where you're going to break off. And so there's just, there's just so much symbolism there. God was very specific. This is the way I want it made. So it's beautiful, but it's more than beautiful. It's designed to produce light and to produce beauty, and so it did. So let's deal with three things about the pattern. I've tried to roughly describe it. I kind of wish I had had a picture here so I could explain and point because I think it, it helps us to get something in our mind's eye. Uh, I sat down one day and tried to kind of pencil this out, and I wasn't doing a very good job, and so I went to a great helper called Google and looked up some different people's drawings of what this might look like. And I finally, I found one. I read my Bible. I said, yep, that's right. Yep, that's right. That's right. And I finally got a kind of a picture in my mind's eye of what it looks like. Here's what I want us to focus on for our help this morning. The pattern of the candlestick. Let me ask you this question. How many believe once the candlestick was made by Bezalel that every few months they were redesigning it? Why not? How many think Bezalel said, you know, the one branch and the one beaten work, all of pure gold, it's a little challenging, a little hard to produce, Moses. I think what I'm going to do is I'm only going to do four branches, two out of each side. How many think that would be okay? Why not? Because the pattern came from heaven. The design was not Moses' design. God told Moses, you see that this is done according to the pattern that was shown in the mount. He repeats that concerning, he says that concerning all the furniture here in verse 9 of the same chapter, Exodus 25. He said, according to all that I show thee, after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall ye make it. Now don't lose me in the first part of this message because we'll make our conclusions with the Lord's help toward the end. But the pattern was not something that Moses said, I think this would look cool in the tabernacle. No, the pattern was God said, I have a purpose. I have an intention, and this is what I want this candlestick to look like. He gave him uh, how it was to be made, and he would repeat that again. We'd find in Exodus chapter 37, the specifications for uh, the pattern of this candlestick are repeated once again in verses 17 through 24. Yet again, Leviticus 24, verses 1 through 4. It's important, and the specifications are always the same. The only modifications I can find are later Solomon built a temple. He built the candlesticks according to the exact specifications. He just multiplied and made, I think, ten of them because the temple was so much larger than the tabernacle, and God permitted him to do that. My point is this. There's going to be some 
correlation toward the end of the message in getting hold of this truth that the pattern and the design for the candlestick, the light whereby a man would approach God, was not willy-nilly accidental according to someone's intellect or emotion. It was according to God's instruction. God said, this is what I want done. Now, there are some that believe it's impossible for what God had to say in heaven. The pattern of that was in heaven... Hebrews 9 articulates this. The entire tabernacle was an outworking on earth of a pattern in heaven. Some believe it's impossible for God to be able to communicate that to man and it come into actual fruition according to what heaven's record is. Don't lose me now. Some would say somewhere in there, surely... I mean, it's like telephone. God said, Moses... Now, I want you to notice how many people are involved. Don't miss this. And anywhere humans are involved, there's error. We all know that, right? unless you're pointing out the errors of God, and then you're inerrant. So we find someone it was like telephone. By the way, that just irritates me. What God says is not like telephone, because God is God. <laughs> but they'll say about your Bible, for instance, this morning, or about even the church and the pattern God has for what a church is supposed to be, or the pattern God has for what a Christian life is supposed to be, well, how do we know for sure that what we read in the Bible is what God actually thinks? I mean, because God communicated to men thousands of years ago. They wrote it down. Surely they didn't get it down verbatim. And if they did, some other man copied what that man wrote, and then he copied what that man wrote. And you know how telephone works. If you say orange down here, someone's going to say baseball bat down there. Right, Pastor? I would say, right, if God were not involved. The pattern for the candlestick was this. God said, I want one, one branch. It's going to have uh, one, one main beam. It's going to be the candlestick itself. Three branches on one side, three on the other, three knops and three flowers like almonds uh, on the one branch and then the next branch. He repeats it three times because then there's a knop and a flower under each of those two branches as well. Where the two branches join, knop and a flower. Two branches join, knop and a flower. How do we have such detail? God knows how to communicate his mind to men. Amen. God is not like us. He does not have a difficult time breaking through barriers to communicate. He had a man in Moses who listened. He told Moses, this is what I want. Uh-oh, but Moses had to tell Bezalel. Surely between Moses and Bezalel, something was lost. I'm going to tell you something. Men who believe their Bible has an error today when God has so proven that it does not. Come at the Bible I'm holding in my hand right now should say, well, the, the tabernacle cannot be what God actually intended. If they believe this principle, that through transmission, God's words are lost, because God's, got wor- God's words were sent to Moses, and then Moses gave them to Bezalel, and then Bezalel had to interpret the blueprints. Oh, no. Surely what was built is not what God said. I, I know you hear my sarcasm. Surely it was. You know why? You don't have to be sinless to be used of God in, in a right way. You have to be surrendered, guided, and obedient to His Holy Spirit. And that's what you had in Moses, a man who wrote down what God said. So let's see a few things about the pattern. Number one, its design was recorded in heaven first, just like our Bible. Forever, O Lord, Thy word is settled in heaven. Some people say, you know what, this guy thinks this about the Bible and that guy thinks that about the Bible. I couldn't care less about the opinions of men about the Bible. I'll just be honest with you. 
I'll just be honest with you. The longer I live, the less I care about what men's opinion is about the Bible. I want to know what God has to say about His book. And He's living to tell us. Amen? And this morning, the design for the candlestick was authored in heaven, documented on earth. Exodus 25, 40. The Bible says, And look that thou make them after their pattern, which was showed thee in the mount. Moses, I want you to get this recorded. I want you to get this down. I showed you a pattern. I want you to get it so that you can hand it to somebody else, and they will know what I've said. Moses handed some instructions to a man named Bezalel and said, you're going to make a candlestick and this is what it's going to be like and you can know when you build it this way, you're building it according to the very word of God. That's why Bezalel did not have liberty to say, well, I want four branches out the left side and three out the right side. No, because God spoke. Couldn't have Bezalel said, well, Moses, how can I be sure that you're telling me what God actually said? Bezalel was a man filled with the Spirit. He trusted God. And so he did what he was given to do. My point is this. The pattern for the candlestick came from heaven, was documented on earth, and we'll deal with the development of that. By that, I simply mean Bezalel took what he was told and he put it into motion. Look at Exodus chapter 35, verses 30 and 31. The candlestick built according to God's design, as was every other piece of furniture, We're just honing in on this today because of verse 40. God made a specific point to say, you see that it's done after the pattern. Don't, it's like this, don't add to, don't take away. Have we heard that before? Three times in Scripture, in the law, in the book of Proverbs, and then in the book of Revelation, we're told neither to add to God's word or to take away from his word. Exodus chapter 35, verses 30 and 31. The Bible says, And Moses said unto the children of Israel, See, The Lord hath called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah. And he hath filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, and in knowledge, and in all manner of workmanship, and to devise curious works to work in gold, and in silver, and in brass. And he goes on to explain. He's given to help him, Aholiab, the son of Ahismach, verse 34. And so then, Bezalel was specifically gifted by God to incorporate the instruction of God through the hand of Moses. And so then we find the design for this pattern was authored in heaven. The documentation was at the hand of Moses. By the way, you want a fun and encouraging and and, and helpful Bible study, study the phrase in your Bible, the hand of Moses. Just study the hand of Moses. When God called Moses to serve him, he said to Moses, what is that in thine hand? And it was a shepherd's rod. And the Lord said, throw it down. He threw it down, turned into a serpent. Moses ran from it, and the Lord said, pick it up. And he picked it up and turned back into a rod. And God says, now I want you to go to Pharaoh. And then he said, take your hand and put it in your bosom. What did he say to put in his bosom? Not his tongue. His, and pull it out. It was leprous. Put it back. White as snow. God, from the beginning, was emphasizing Moses' hand. What did Moses say to God? I can't help you. I can't serve you because of what's in my mouth. God said, I want your mouth. I want your hand. Now, you think about what God did with the hand of Moses. With that rod, he parted the Red Sea and he brought it back together. With that rod, those plagues came on Egypt. With that rod, he would strike a rock and water would come out, all with his hand. But you know what more important he did with his hand? We have five books in our Bible that came from his, not his tongue, his hand. God said, write these things in a book, and he did. My point to you this morning is from the very beginning, uh, as God began to give us record of his own mind, he did it through a hand. He chose written communication over verbal communication. 
Moses says, I'm concerned about my, 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 my mouth. God says, I'm not. I want to use your hand. Write. Write what I say. And so God did. He gave us a written record of the pattern in heaven. And so we have that today. Bezalel develops that pattern into a literal candlestick so that when it was done, he could know, I know God is pleased with this. Why? Because it's according to God's pattern. May I say this? Far before man ever came into the world, there's a pattern in heaven of what righteousness is. His name is Jesus Christ. And he came down in in human form and showed us what righteousness is. Precisely heaven's mind communicated on earth through the person of Jesus Christ. And praise God we have for the record of that in our Bible. So the pattern of the candlestick, we won't belabor that. Number two, the preciousness of this candlestick. It's made of pure Gold, part of what makes this thing precious is its, its construction. It's the material it's made of. We understand gold is the one thing that seems to retain its value as far as earthly things are concerned. You can't take it to heaven, but it's a good picture and type of true value, things of true value. I am told that an ounce of gold today will buy basically what it would have bought 1,800, 1,900 years ago. A suit of clothes, a pair of shoes. Uh, a very nice suit of clothes and a very nice pair of shoes, right? But basically, it has the same purchasing value. See, why are you saying that? Are you preaching on economy? Couldn't care less about economy. I'm preaching on things that are of value. The candlestick is one of the most valuable pieces of furniture here thus far because of what it's made of, pure gold. Now, help me this morning. How do you get pure gold? That's it. It's dug out of the, the earth. But when it's dug out of the earth, it's mixed with all kinds of elements you don't want. So it has to be heated to something, I think, like, I want to say 1,100 degrees, 1,200 degrees. I've not looked at this in a while, to purify it. Silver is not quite as hot as gold. You get gold, if I remember correctly, a little hotter. And what happens is it burns off all that dross. God says he wants this made with pure gold. He doesn't want this gold mixed with brass, gold mixed with iron, gold mixed with dirt. I want it pure, therefore it's going to have to come out of, of heat. You say, what's this have to do with? You know what? Our Bible, this Bible here we have today, I'll, I want to say this, because there's so much attack and assault today on the integrity of God's Word, on the purity of God's Word, and there has been since the Garden of Eden. But I want you to think, one of the questions we get all the time, one of the most questions I get most, and so I must talk about it much, is over which Bible, Pastor? Which Bible? We're English-speaking people. There's a lot of English Bibles. This morning, help me. Which English Bible today do we have that is the direct result of fiery persecution? The only. Every other is the result of an intellectual get-together and big finance. It's the truth. Making Bibles today is a money-making industry for publishing houses and wicked men. Amen. This Bible, you know, there's one English Bible. That if this church today wanted to print, the only person we have to ask permission is God, and it's the King James Bible. The only English Bible we can print that we don't have to ask copyright permissions from anybody but God. You with me? You check me on that. You check me on that. So I've seen a King James Bible with copyright in front. If you find a King James Bible, it's copywritten. It's maps. It's charts. The text of this scripture, anybody can print it anywhere, anytime, as much as they want. You check other translations, you've got to get a hold of the publishing house and ask, can we, can we use that in a slideshow? Can we give that away? Not this one. I'm trying to say to you this morning, 
gold, pure gold, there are reasons. Look, we didn't wake up one day and say, you know, my grandpa had a King James and I feel warm fuzzies about it. There's reasons from God's word we hold the positions we hold. It's, it, it's, listen, it's not, you say, and I'm not, I'm not here to pick on anybody, but it's important. It's important. Let me ask you a question very quickly. If I quoted you this verse this morning, 1 Corinthians 1.18, that's right here behind me. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved is the power of God. Now I'm going to make a minor little change, just a little one. Just a little one. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish, to them that are perishing. I'm going to put an I-N-G and an R in front of perished. For the preaching of the cross is to them that are perishing foolishness. But unto us which are being saved, it is the power of God. Does that change the meaning of that verse? How come? Is there a difference? What's that? Salvation is not a process. It is an instantaneous event. And if I change that verse... For the preaching of the cross is to them that, per- that are perishing foolishness, but unto us which are being saved, it is the power of God. I've just changed the entire meaning. Some say, well, those little additions. By the way, that's in a Bible that's much easier to read than your King James. But worth a whole lot less. I just quoted from the New King James, by the way. New King James Version. You can look at them. Anyone you want to find, 1 Corinthians 1.18, tells you you are being saved. It also says, Zechariah chapter 13, verse 6, what are those wounds in the, between thine arms instead of in thine hands? So why do you bring that up? Because those are subtractions and additions from what God actually said. So I say, Pastor, it's a matter of opinion of how that should be translated. Only if there's not a God. Only if the Holy Spirit of God is not superintending the work of His own Word. You say, what does this have to do with the candlestick? Everything. What was it made with? Any old material? Or pure gold that came out of refining fire. Pure gold that came out of refining fire. Psalm 12, 6 and 7. The words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Psalm 19, if I may. Likens God's word to gold. Psalm 19. And it's interesting that God would liken that. It's an earthly, it is a, it is a treasure on earth that requires a refining, purifying process. But when it's done, all the human earthly elements are burned away and all that's left is something pure and precious. And so then Psalm 19 tells us that the word of God is like gold. It says, verse 9, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be, more to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and the honeycomb. And today, when God said, I want a candlestick, I want uh, this built on earth, I don't want it just built out of whatever you can find. I don't want it built out of the cheapest material. I don't want it built out of what is easiest to get. I want it built out of pure gold. So what made the candlestick precious was its purity. Number two, what made it precious is we will call this its perfection. How many branches did it have? Seven. In the Bible, seven is a number of completion, meaning this candlestick will provide enough light there'll be no need for any more. He didn't say eight branches. He didn't say six branches. And again, you study your Bible. Seven is when God said earth is complete. Number Day number six, he finished. And on day number seven, the Bible said he rested for he had finished or ceased from his works, meaning he says, I'm done. It's complete. It's all finished. 
And so then, seven throughout Scripture deals with completion or perfection, the idea of something being finished. And so what we would see in this is the perfection of this lamp. What if you went in there and somebody says, well, I'm afraid of the dark. I'm afraid of the dark. You know what Moses would say? No need to be. You've got a candlestick in there. But it's not enough light. I need more light than it provides. And don't miss me this morning. People say, well, I appreciate the Bible, but there are some issues it doesn't deal with. It's perfect. We need nothing more. The LDS tell us, well, we needed the Book of Mormon added for clarification. It doesn't contradict the Bible. It's just more revelation. We don't need any more. It's perfect. It's complete. The Word of the Lord is perfect, the Bible says. It's tried. It's, it's precious. It's perfect. The number seven deals with, it was, it, was the, it was complete. The lamp had enough light. It had seven branches, and that was all it needed. And so then we see the purity, the preciousness of it is seen in its purity, its perfection, and, of course, in its purpose. Its purpose was you're going to walk in that tabernacle. Natural light is behind you. You now need light ordered by divine command. In Listen. The closer you get to God, the less you're relying on natural light and the more you're relying on divinely given light. You with me here? Some people say, well, God gave everybody common sense. Well, it's not so common. (laughs) Amen? God gave us a book, friends. Don't, don't, listen here. Proverbs 3, 5, 6, and 7. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. What does that look like? You know a lot of people say trust in the Lord is? I really feel in my gut that God's telling me, you better not trust that. Bible says of apostates whose God is their belly. Don't miss it. You say, what does that mean? They trust their gut. They trust their passion. They trust their strong urge. They trust that strong sense. I'm going to tell you something. I, I tremble to think what I would be this morning if I followed what I felt like being and doing in my natural flesh, I'd probably be burning in hell. Huh? Honestly. But you know what God says? Trust this. He gave them, in the service of God, He gave them a candlestick that was made of pure gold. It was perfect. It had seven branches. And the whole purpose was to shed light whereby they could see how to serve God while they were in there. You want to know how to serve God? Don't lay awake at night and have ideas. You don't know how to serve God. Get in the light of His Word. He will inform us how He wants us to serve Him. You know, many times someone comes and says, Pastor, can I do this for you? Can I do that for you? No, 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 no. Or your child, your child comes and says, Can I do this or can I do this? If you're a parent, you really don't want your children to be your servants, by the way. You want, you want them to learn to labor and work, but you're not looking for personal servants. But as they serve under your instruction, you know what you're looking for them? Honestly. I don't need you to be creative. I just really, just be sure and do what you're told. We will instruct you. We'll educate you. We'll tell you. And if we can't, we'll get you somebody can. The idea would be this, and that may be the poor analogy, but God is not looking for us to come up and be creative for Him. God knows what He's doing. He knows what He wants done today. He's looking for His people who walk and serve in the light of His Word. We've listened. How many of us can agree our nation is way adrift? Amen. How many of us can agree that directly correlates with the attitude toward this book? Now listen, please, and my word is it doesn't matter. You need to you need to judge this out for yourself. I've watched in my lifetime, though, 
the attitude of the general public changed toward the Bible. It was already changed much when I was born. But then what we've watched is the attitude toward those in civil authority toward the Bible changed from, well, it's a good book and it's good to have around and it's good to lay your hand on and swear somebody into office and we'll open Congress with maybe a scripture and a prayer to, oh, it doesn't need to be around. Prior to my birth, it was booted out of our schools, yes? There's no room for this book there. The halls of learning have become halls of deceit. It's truth. Now, here's where I'm, here's where I'm headed. Now the book is becoming unpopular in church. It's truth. Take a Bible verse and preach opinion, but let's not serve in the light of God's Word itself. Because that's not, that the ideals put forward are no longer acceptable. Listen, you say, well, at least we're not out there, you know, accepting the LGBTQ. There are churches that said the same thing 30 years ago that are accepting it today. Because they changed their attitude toward this book. It's a book to pick up and prove your point, but not one to govern your life. When you're inside the holy place, you are living in the light provided by the candlestick. That's what you're having to do. That's what's providing light to see how to serve God, how to offer the incense and so forth. And so the preciousness of the candlestick is in its purity and what it's, it's constructed of, its perfection, seven branches, its purpose to dispense and disperse light to that entire holy place while you're serving the Lord. Thirdly, the partaker of the candlestick. Walk with me back through the courtyard of the tabernacle. The partaker of the candlestick, meaning the person who is enjoying and serving in the light of this beautiful candlestick, the person that can see the bread to eat because there's a candlestick, the person that can see the incense altar because there's a candlestick. What kind of a person is this? Number one, they're a person that's been saved by the atoning sacrifice made at at the brazen altar. You don't get to the candlestick and the light of it unless you come through the altar first. The person today that's going to enjoy and live in the light of God's Word has has submitted to the cross. There's no other way for your sins to be atoned for than what Jesus Christ did for you. You cannot... The the natural man, 1 Corinthians 2 says, the natural man, meaning the, the person as you are born, discerneth not, judgeth not the things of God. You cannot... If you've never been born again through faith in the work of Christ on the cross, through faith in Him as a living person, the Son of God, you cannot get the light of this book. The Ethiopian eunuch was asked, Understandest thou what thou readest? Meaning, do you have light? And he said, how can I? Except some man should guide me. Many times men testify thinking they are indicting the Bible. They say something like this. Well, I read that Bible and I just can't understand it. You know my first thought is? Because the author is not within you. You know who gives us discernment of this book? The Holy Spirit of God. And you get the Holy Spirit of God by receiving what Christ did on the cross, His broken body and His shed blood in your place. We will never impress God in our way into heaven. No, no, no. It's faith in Jesus Christ. It's trust in the person, the Son of God. And so the person that comes into the candlestick, he's someone who's accepted, I had to have someone die in my place if I'm going to serve God. I'm not fit to approach God as I am. There are sins on my account. And so instead of God killing me, that animal was slain in my place. For us today, we know that speaks of Christ. Instead of me approaching God as I am, I approach God and say, except for Christ, I'm not worthy. And I accept what He did for me as the payment for my sins. Not only the person enjoying the light of the candlestick has received the atoning sacrifice on the altar, they have washed at the brazen laver. 
There are those days, well, I'm sure grateful Jesus died for my sins. Let's go serve God. We have to say, but wait, 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 wait. 1 Corinthians 6 says, such were some of you. You got some things on you when God saved you that the Bible says need to get off of you if you're going to serve God. The Bible says, put off the old man with his deeds. When God saved you, you had a filthy mouth. Now you're saved. Put it off. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying. May I say this? You may have accepted the work of Christ on the cross as the atoning sacrifice for your sins and been pardoned, but you're still not ready to serve because you still got things that need to be removed, not to get saved, but because you're saved. Put on the appeal in Colossians and the appeal in Ephesians is you're a child of God, so put off the old man, the old ways, lying, fornicating, uncleanness, lasciviousness, bitterness, wrath, strife, malice. Put all that off. You say, well, that you, you get saved by putting off. No, you put off because you got saved. You with me this morning? So the person that's in the light of the candlestick, they've come to the brazen altar and accepted, I needed a substitute to die in my place. And because of that, because God's pardoned me, I want to be pleasing to Him. I want Him to be pleased with my life. And we go to the laver of God's Word and wash. The person that's in the light has partaken and been satisfied with the bread of God's Word. Now I say this, no one, no person will ever serve God that approaches the Bible and says, I just don't... I don't know why it reads it. Why does God say that? You know what our attitude toward this book is? If it's in there, it's mine. That doesn't mean everything applies to me, meaning I'll spit none of it out. If Jesus said that he came to bring a sword and that my my love for him means it will divide my home, so be it. He's worthy. You with me? Watch many a person take a piece of God's word and go, I know that's God's word, but I can't take it. Too hard. Too ch- you remember in John 6, Jesus said, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. And many departed from him and followed him. No more. Why? Because of what he said. He said something that the Bible says was an hard saying. Meaning they couldn't understand him. Well, they should have got him to retranslate it so where they could understand. You got a lot of sarcasm this morning. I believe it's holy sarcasm. Unbelief is, unbelief is a wicked sin. Hear me now. Unbelief is a wicked sin. It's the sin that sends men to hell. God says something, we say, I don't believe that's true. The Bible says something, and someone says, well, I just don't accept that as truth. It's called unbelief, meaning I'm wiser than God. I heard of somebody that believes that and said, I'll be God. His name's Lucifer. That is a devilish thing, a thing of unbelief. The Pharisees pinned Jesus on the cross because of it. The Gentiles helped them because of it. And men today perish because of it. Unbelief. So what's this have to do with the candlestick? The partaker, the person that's enjoying the light of the candlestick, this beautiful, precious candlestick has been pardoned through the shed blood of the atoning sacrifice, washed in the water of God's word, and had their hunger satisfied by the table of showbread. Now they come to the light. Someone says, why is it some people get something out of their Bible and others don't? This message might help clarify that. Have I accepted the work of Christ as my own? The only payment for my sin. Have I been washed in the water of His Word? Am I receiving what He's feeding me? Am I, am I, am I purposed in my heart? 
I've already decided once I know it's the word of God, I will accept it no matter what. Some people say, well, God is not irrational. Well, of course not. He says, come now and let us reason together. But rationale should be built on what God says. The beginning of ration is we know that can't be true because that's in conflict with what God says. And so then we move forward. The pattern, we've seen. The preciousness, we've seen. The partaker, saved by the atoning sacrifice, sanctified by the water, satisfied with the bread. Now he's serving in the light. Psalm 36, 9 says, In thy light shall we see light. 1 John 5, 1, verses 5 through 7 says, God is light and in him is no darkness. He that saith uh, that he has fellowship with God and walks in darkness lies and the truth is not in him. I'm paraphrasing. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. Fourthly, we see this morning the productivity of the candlestick. Here's what's interesting. How many of us can, understand, can believe that candlestick was precious? Can you imagine what that would be worth today? It was a talent of gold. Ah, it's going to be a, a valuable piece even now. Nothing wrong with the candlestick. Nothing wrong with God's design. You can read in the book of Leviticus that it was fueled by oil uh, from olives, beaten. The olives beaten out and the oil from that is what fueled the candlestick and that God said the people were to provide for that. But the, the, the question is though, did the candlestick always burn as brightly as it should? That depended on the priest. You see, the candlestick was perfect. There was nothing wrong with it. It was pure. It was pure gold. The design was from heaven. But the lights could go out. There were wick in that. And the Bible says that twice a day, twice a day, the priest was supposed to go in and dress the candlesticks. It tells us that in Exodus, I believe. Let me find my reference here. Exodus chapter 30, I believe, verses 7 and 8. And then 35, 14, you have to, if you want to look this up on your own time, we're, we're, at, we're running short on time. So I'm not going to turn to all the passages, but Exodus 37 and 8, 35, 14. 37, 17 through 24, and Leviticus 24, 1 through 4 deals with the fact that the priest was supposed to go in and dress the lamps morning and evening. Morning and the evening. I do not want a list of hands. I'm not asking for you to testify. But I would ask, is it your habit to come to the Word of God morning and night? Are you meditating in His Word day and night? You want, why morning and night? God was okay with the lamp going out in the middle of the day? No, 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 no. He had to dress the lamps in the morning. I mean, he trim the wick and fill the oil. Trim the wick and fill the oil. He had to do it in the morning and he had to do it in the evening because the Bible says it was to burn perpetually. You are never walking in the holy place and that candle not be burning. I mean, it was to be shedding light at all times. So the visitation of it morning and evening was not, well, let it go out in the middle of the day. No, 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 no. The idea was it must be tended to or it would go out. It's a perfect candlestick. It's a pure candlestick. But there was a human element that was going to determine how much light was put forward. Two things. Notice this. The productivity of it was based upon, number one, the fact that it had to be filled regularly. Ephesians 5.18 says, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. We have, a, we have a misconception in our day that the filling of the Spirit is a strange Weird experience that only a few elite Christians have known. When a five, Ephesians 5.18 commands every Christian to live in that experience daily. And be not drunk with wine when it is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. You know what happens when a man gets filled with wine? 
By the way, I detest hearing we need to be drunk in the Spirit. That's not what that book says. It says be not drunk. It says be filled with the Spirit. If you're drunk, those spirits are going to rule your tongue, your feet, going to get you in some accident, ruin your life, your family. No, don't be drunk with that. Be filled with the Spirit and let Him control your life. These little candles, these lamps on these seven branches had to be faithfully filled for the light to burn. The word dress means trim. How many of you have ever trimmed a wick on a lantern? If you don't, it starts smoking and lamp, the light gets dim. Some people say, no, I just hit a switch. Well, different generation, right? You trim a wick, it burns brighter. You know what? Twice a day, evening and morning. I love Psalm 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. You leave the natural light behind you. Nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. May I say this this morning. The light of God's word will get dim in your life if you don't tend to it. You've got to tend to it. The Bible says two things about the Holy Spirit and your relationship with him as a, as a Christian. Don't quench him. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, quench not the Spirit. For words in that verse and one of the most important verses and most disregarded verses among God's people today quench not the spirit the Bible is being preached you're reading your Bible and something dings your conscience something tinges you you think I wonder if that verse applies to me don't walk away and wonder no if God's Holy Spirit is speaking to you through his word don't walk away and say well I hope that wasn't the Holy Spirit talking to me that's quenching Quench means to put a flame out. Do you think that relates to our candlestick this morning? You realize you can quench the spirit by putting a snuffer over the candle, but you can quench the spirit by not what you do, but what you don't do. Do you know how Aaron and the other priests could quench that flame in that, in that, in that temple, in that tabernacle? Simply don't pour oil in and simply don't trim. It's the same analogy. In John 15, Jesus said, Ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. That was in the context of uh, he that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. But him that beareth fruit, he purgeth. When you look up the word dress, it's the same as someone who dresses a vineyard. You purge away the dead. You purge away the burned on the wick. Why? So you can burn brightly. You know what God's word does? On a daily basis, God's word shows me that attitude has to go. It cuts me. It trims me. I need it. If not, I get dull. If not, I become, I become something that God cannot use and shine through. And so this morning, for the lamp to be productive, the, the wicks had to be trimmed and the oil had to be poured in. You must regularly let the Holy Spirit of God take residence and possession and, and, and control of your heart and mind and body. You're indwelt by Him. How many of us agree? The candlestick was perfect. It was precious. But it's no good. It's not going to shine if the the wicks aren't trimmed and the oil's not poured in. You see, I believe this morning, I believe very clearly on the Bible, someone indwelt by the Holy Spirit is not inherently filled with the Holy Spirit. Why do we believe that? Because to be filled is a commandment. Let me ask you something. If uh, George Benny gave us a nice water tank at our house that our children are using as a swimming pool and a watering trough for deer, Yesterday morning, 
So we're getting ready for a boat. No, I'm kidding. They are watering in the watering troughs. And so anyway, the kids are using that. Now let's say we put a hose in there. The supply is there. We turn the hose on. But I look out and the tank's not being filled. So I say, is the faucet on? Yeah, it's on. Well, what happened? Is the well not pumping water? Sometimes that happens. The well uh, gets overworked and needs to catch up. No, no, no. Things are fine at the well. Well, what happened? I look. One of the kids is standing there and they've kinked the hose. Let that thing go so that can be filled. When you got saved, God put the Holy Spirit inside of you. And the only way not to be filled is to quench him or grieve him. He's got to be obstructed in some way. God will fill us if we let him. What happens is he says, I want you to do what my, my word says in this portion of your life. Oh, but Lord, oh, I enjoy that. Oh, but Lord, what would people say? Oh, but Lord, I've never understood it that way. But is that what my word says? I know, but Lord, that would embarrass me. Lord, I'd look like a fool. Hmm. Now the light's going out. He'll fill. The supply of oil never ran out, but it had to be poured in regularly. Because, listen, burning lights use up the oil. Do you know the Holy Spirit is typified by oil throughout the Bible? Over and the anointing of God was with oil. We have an unction from on high. That's means an, an anointing, a smudging on of oil. That's the Holy Spirit of God. And here, for the lamp to be productive, it had to be filled morning and night. Listen, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to commune with God, not just once a week or twice a week. In, in His law doth He meditate day and night. Jesus called it abiding. You're gonna have to adjust to His Word. Case and I had this conversation last night. You have to adjust to His Word over and over and make sure you're not getting out of a right relationship with the Holy Spirit of God if we're going to burn brightly. Now, by the way, this doesn't have to do with being saved. This has to do with serving. It has to do with being a light. So you say, I thought the candlestick was a, a type of the Bible. It is. It's a type of Christ as well. He is the light of the world, is he not? Isn't the Word of God called a light? You know what else is called a light? We are. And the trimming and the filling, that applies to us. So it had to be filled regularly and trimmed faithfully. Finally, the parallels. I just mentioned them. John 8, 12 and John 9, 5. In John 8, 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. John 9, 5, though, he says this, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. That's interesting. Why would he say that? Because in Matthew 5, in verses 14 through 16, he says, ye are the light of the world. You're not to be put under a bushel. You're not to be put under a bed. So who's the light of the world? Jesus? Yes. Or the believer? Yes. Or his word? Yes. He's the living word, given us the written word, and we are epistles written of God and read of men, meaning God is speaking to people through us. But I'm going to say this. There's a lot of dim believers today because God has spoken to us somewhere in the lamp. Instead of letting him trim us, and letting his word purge us, there's a failure to do so. But may I say this this morning? You say, Brother Pastor, I just, want, I just I want to serve God. I want my life to reveal the truth about who He is. You know what light does? It does a couple of things. It reveals and it reproves. It reveals what is. You don't have to guess. Light makes things clear. One of the things we have today is people that are very much not clear on what's true. Is the Bible true? Is it not true? Is there a heaven? Is there not? Is there a hell? Is there not? 
God's spoken plainly on these things. But you and I are to be a light that reveals those things, reveals who the Lord is, reveals what sin is, reveals the judgment to come. So the parallels, it's a parallel to the Lord Himself. He's the light of the world. He is the light. His word is the light in which we serve. It parallels the written word. Psalm 119, 105, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Psalm 119, 130, The entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. 2 Timothy 3, 16, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. And it's a picture of the believer, both the individual believer and the collective, the church. It's a picture of us. Let's close in Philippians chapter 2. Now, I understand that candlestick was inside the, the holy place, but I also understand this. It is a light provided by God, and you and I, as individuals and as a local church, are to be a light to this world, meaning making things clear, shining light, revealing what is true. Satan transforms himself into an angel of light, but is a deceiver. Philippians 2 says this, verse 14, Do all things without murmurings, and disputings, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Don't you find it interesting that in Revelation 2 and 3, the churches are likened to a candlestick? We're supposed to be not holding up our opinions, not holding up our ideals, not holding up what we want, holding up, thus saith the Lord. But you know what? At the individual level, hard to shine forth His Word if the author is not giving free course in our lives. Very difficult to speak for the Lord if we're not speaking to Him. Very difficult for Him to work through us if we've obstructed Him through some disobedience. But may I say this? And I believe this may be the most applicable point. If you're, if you're not shining like you should today, shining means how much of God's Word is coming out from my life, both by my obedience to it and my speaking of it. I believe this. One of the things that would cause the lamps to go out quicker than anything else is simply negligence. It took great diligence on part of the priest to keep those lamps burning bright. You know what? It's hard work to study your Bible and get to know the mind of God. Hard work doesn't save anybody, but save people ought to work hard. Can I say that again so I'm very clear? Hard work cannot save you, but saved people are called to work and should work hard. The Bible's told Timothy, Paul told Timothy, study, that means diligently apply yourself, to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I want to ask you this morning, are you trimming the lamps? Are you getting in the word of God and letting it do its work on you so you can shine brightly the truth of God? Are you letting the Holy Spirit have His way? Are we making sure we're applying our... That won't happen on accident. You've got to spend time with Him, hear His mind, seek His mind. We're to dig for the wisdom of God like we did for gold and silver, Proverbs 2 says. Let me ask you this morning. If the effort you are putting into knowing the mind of God through the study of the Bible, I'm talking about, I'm not talking about reading it to memorize facts. I'm talking about studying to know the mind of God. If you are to be paid and compensated in wealth for the level of effort you put into the study of God's Word, would you be a prince or a pauper today? I ask that this morning, not as an accusation, but as a challenge. So many times we are, we are failing as Christians, not because we don't have the resource in our hands, but because we're neglecting it. 
One of the greatest sins today is negligence. We're just neglecting. We have a perfect book in our hands. What if a priest come out and said, I couldn't offer incense, couldn't see anything in there? What kind of a God makes it so hard to serve Him? I think Moses would say, you're doing something wrong. There's plenty of light in there. Well, there's no lights burning when I went in. You pour any oil in the lamps? I didn't know there was a lamp. I couldn't see anything. It's dark. I had to come back out in the rest of the world so I could see what I'm doing. To be honest with you, the lack of stability among God's people has everything to do with the relationship with this book. I wonder if we compared the time we spend in what we know to be the pure candlestick of God's Word, investing in its light, letting it shine on us and letting it shine in us and through us, if we compared it to what we spend our time on other things. Listen, friend, we're in a world full of things that are as harmless as they can be until they take the place of this book in your life. And then all of a sudden, we're leaning on opinions of men, including our own, instead of the Word of God, and our light is out. And instead of representing God faithfully, we're just representing something or someone else. This morning, I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit of God to make applications as He should. This is a message to Christians. If you're here this morning and you believe that you're justified with God through anything other than faith in Jesus Christ, let me urge you, don't leave the message behind. You need to come to faith in Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can make you righteous. You may be here and say, no, I'm saved, but my life is all defiled. Let God's Word cleanse you. So you can serve. So I'm not satisfied. Then eat the bread. Maybe this morning you say, you know what? I'm having a difficult time eating the bread and offering the incense because the lights are out. Maybe it's time to trim the lamps and let the Holy Spirit of God have his way. And I urge you this on a practical way. If while the message is being preached, I've not given a lot of personal practical examples, but maybe the Holy Spirit is tugging at your heart. If you're saved, he's there. And he says, you know where the kink is at. You know where it's at, in the water hose. I can't fill you because you've, you've said no to me here. If you've said no, oh, brother or sister, would you please say yes to him today for your sake, for the Lord's name's sake. You say, it's not that, I, not that I'm telling him no, I'm just not. I'm not tending to the light of God's word like I should. Can I encourage you? Make your way up here and bow a knee before the Lord. Talk to him and say, Lord, forgive me. I, if that's what the Lord wants you to do, I urge you. Say, Lord, forgive me. I've neglected your word. Let's get that right today. Let today be the first day. I'd encourage you to go home, open your Bible and spend some time. I just heard it preached. What better go home and open it again? <laughs> Amen. Let's, let's tend to the candlestick so that we can be the candlestick that we're supposed to be. Mm-hmm.